Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A gospel reading from the 10th chapter of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite... When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Grace and peace to you, my friends in Christ. I mean, the story that we just heard from Christine, this guy, the man is left for dead in the ditch. And for the life of me, I, I mean, we don't know why the man is targeted. Jesus doesn't really tell us. I mean, this could be you or it could be me. This, this could have been any of us. Stripped, beaten. And then we have the robbers in the story. We don't, we don't know their situation either. I mean, there isn't a backstory. We don't know why their motivation is to do this to this man. We don't know why they are in such dire need of money or clothes or whatever they are uh, trying to get from this guy. So how the man ends up in the ditch really isn't the point. It's what happens next that Jesus is getting at. And that's the point of this parable. That's the point of this story. And I, I, I turn to the words of uh, Mr. Rogers. Because in a time of crisis, he would say, look for the helpers. And so the helpers, right? The helpers are the religious leaders, aren't they? Aren't these the ideal people to be walking by during a time of crisis for this man left for dead in the ditch? I mean, first we got the priest, and, and I mean, this is the leader of the temple, the one that you would think would be the most motivated to practice what he preaches. You know, he is the one who should be all about loving your neighbor. And he sees the beaten up man on the side of the road, and all he does is look and then crosses over to the other side. And I can't help but wonder, why does he do that? So as those people in the room listening to this story are hearing it, Perhaps some excuses are running through their mind as well. I bet they're trying to justify the action. They're trying to figure out why the priest would do this. 
Why does the priest justify that he doesn't stop? Well, perhaps it's because this man is unclean now, and and the priest, he can't help someone who's unclean because that would make him unclean. He's got to get to the prayers, and he's got to get to the temple. He's got to get to, to leading the worship service, after all. So it's not a completely ridiculous reason. I mean, let's be honest, we've probably each had those moments where we were thinking about how important the thing was that we had to do that was in front of us, and we didn't even recognize the emergency right in front of our eyes. And then who's next? Well, great, we've got a Levite. This is the musician in the temple. He's a guardian. He's, he's someone who's the assistant to the priest. And, you know, if he knows his priest is running up ahead of him and he doesn't want to make him uh, be late, and, and so he's probably worried about uh, getting his, his boss upset. So he's got to hurry. He's like, okay, great, I, I see you, but i got to keep moving on. And so finally, the story is left to the last person who comes along, and that's this Samaritan. Just, just a Samaritan. It doesn't say good Samaritan in the passage. It just says this man from Samaria. You know, we add that description to this story, the good Samaritan. But his response is literally just an outsider doing the unexpected. You know, a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and, and when he saw the man left for dead in the ditch, he was moved with pity. And so he actually sees and acts and then takes this man and takes him to the inn and says, look, however much it costs to take care of this man, here's two denarii now. I'll give you more if you need it when I come back. It's a pretty unexpected outcome, isn't it? But there's actually two other people. There's two other characters in this story, if you think about it. The lawyer and Jesus, at least the two that are named in this story. The only real people in this story The rest is a parable. It's made up by Jesus to illustrate his point. And as I think about it, the lawyer here is really just, he's doing a lawyerly thing. He's vetting Jesus. He's trying to make sure that Jesus is a reliable teacher. He's trying to make sure that the words that Jesus has to say are in line with the common teaching. And so these questions are not out of the ordinary. In fact, as he's asking how to get to you know, eternal life, Jesus is like, well, okay, I'll play your game. And he spins it back upon him. He says, all right. You're the lawyer. What does the law say? The lawyer says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Great. (laughs) You know, it's even better than the Sunday school answer of Jesus, right? Like, if you answer this, you're almost always going to be right. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is like, you got the right answer. Do this and you can live. And that's the end of the story, isn't it? Well, it would have been, but then you know, the lawyer asks a follow-up question. He wants a little bit more. He, he wants a little bit of justification. He wants to know, Jesus, that's great and all, but who is my neighbor? Perhaps looking for some brownie points. Perhaps looking for some affirmation, like, Jesus, I'm doing it the right way, right? What he gets is this story about a Samaritan that is so unexpected that it throws everybody for a loop. And so when I hear this story about the Good Samaritan, this, this man from Samaria coming along the side of the road to help someone, I always think that it's the lawyer who Jesus is trying to trip up. I just assume it's the lawyer that is disgusted by the response that it's only a Samaritan who could be the hero in this story. But here's the deal. Luke is writing this story, and often when we come to church, we'll take a chunk here, we'll take a chunk there, we'll take a chunk of Luke's story, you know, and and none of it's all sewn up together. But if you're reading Luke's gospel, you open up Luke's gospel, you start from page one, and you're like, wow, the birth of Jesus and the Virgin Mary and all that, and then you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you get to Luke 9, all right? 
Today is Luke 10, all right? So you get to Luke 9, some pretty important stuff is happening in here and some really interesting clues that are going to help us understand today's parable. Because if you think that this lawyer has a mistrust of Samaritans, you'd be right. But wait until you hear what a couple of the other guys who were in the room hearing this story would have thought about Samaria. You see, in the previous chapter, Luke is recounting how those 12 disciples, they got sent out into the world, right? Jesus said, look, you guys have been trained. We're going to send you out in the world. You're going to go out into the countryside, and you're going to proclaim the good news, and you're going to heal people. And what happens? They do. And then they come back, and they're so excited to tell the story. They're like, Jesus, we did this. And this amazing stuff happened, and they were so excited to share the good news. Things are starting to click for the disciples. Because when they return, all of a sudden there's the feeding of the 5,000. And then Peter, James, and John see Jesus actually transfigured on the mountaintop. The story is starting to come together that the, the disciples are witnesses to the Messiah. Like, it's starting to make sense to them. This is the one that they've been waiting for, the one who's going to set the people free, the, the Messiah who will save people from their sins. And they realize either you get on board or you get out of the way. And so in Luke 9, we get an interesting nugget starting in verse 51. You see, Jesus knows that when the days are drawing near for him to get taken up, he's ready to go to Jerusalem. But those messengers who had just come back, he's, he, he needs to send them out ahead again. He needs to tell people as he's going to Jerusalem that he's on the way. So he sent his messengers ahead of him. And where do they go? Well, on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Great. Sounds good so far. Samaritans, are you guys ready to embrace Jesus? Nope. They don't receive him. They're like, nope. Uh, Your face is set towards Jerusalem. We are not ready to receive you, Jesus. Which, okay. I mean, maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe this is too much of a thing to ask of you. Uh, No big deal, right? Dust your shoes off and keep going. How do you think that the disciples respond to this? When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Whoa, like easy guys. Like, really? You just want them all wiped out because they don't receive you? Jesus is like, okay, a little strong. Uh, And he rebukes them. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. And so they go on to the next village. All right, Samaria, you're out, but maybe the next town will be ready to embrace Jesus. It's a pretty drastic response if you think about it, right? Like, the disciples want to just burn it to the ground. And I can't help but think about how Jesus must have been feeling. Like, Jesus was probably a little unsettled too, isn't he? Like, is it possible that this little nugget of a story is something that's in the mind of Jesus when he's thinking about, wow, like, not everybody likes me, do they? And so this detail, this place, this place that's turned against Jesus is going to be in his head when he starts telling a story to this lawyer about who is his neighbor. And the hero of that story, it's from a town that his own disciples want a fireball. If you want the person who's going to be the least likely to be lifted up as the neighbor in a story, a man from Samaria would probably be that person. Goes right up there with with a Roman centurion on his way to a crucifixion, right? Like people that you don't want to walk alongside you. And that's where this story challenges me the most. Like personally, like I am like most convicted by this story because I, I gotta, I gotta confess something to you. I don't always like my neighbor. Like sometimes there are times I really, really don't like what my neighbors do. 
I don't like it when my neighbors shoot fireworks off at 10 p.m. on a random night. I strongly dislike it when my neighbors steal the catalytic converter off my car right in front of my house. I vehemently dislike when my neighbors like to drive 45 or 50 miles per hour and speed past my house while my kids are in the front yard playing. But then I think about it. There's also like the comparing, the measuring up, the judgment of, you know, like, hey, parenting and all that stuff. I mean, there's differences in parenting. There's, there's differences in how we take care of the earth. There's differences even in appropriate yard signs. Like, for example, one of my neighbors had a sign that said, please slow down for our kids. And on his ring camera had a neighbor drive over it three times. I'm like, that is really an extreme response to that sign. Somebody shared this picture with me that their love thy neighbor sign from church actually got ripped out of the ground and thrown into the bushes. I'm like, really? Who does that? Like, who does that to a neighbor? And my neighbor isn't just the people in my neighborhood. It's, it's the footprint on social media. It's the neighbor I meet when I'm at, at home or at work or when I'm out and about, when I'm at the store. It's when I'm out driving and my neighbor decides to drive really aggressively. It's, it's my neighbor when I'm at drill at Fort Ripley. I mean, these neighbors of mine have a much different outlook on life than I do. And sometimes I stop and I wonder how some of these neighbors believe the way that they do. How do they come to the conclusions that they do, the belief systems that they have about the world around them? And then I realize something. Maybe they're thinking the exact same thing about me. Yet Jesus is calling these people to be my neighbor. And I'm supposed to love these neighbors. So if Jesus rewrote this parable for you today, who would be your neighbor? That neighbor might not agree with us on everything. But I tell you what, if, if I saw that neighbor in a time of need, I don't think I'd want to be compared to the priest or the Levite. Would you? I'd want to be compared to the Samaritan. I tell you what, if I was the one stuck in the ditch, which I'll be honest, I often am, I'm extremely thankful for my neighbor, any neighbor, honestly, who sees me in my time of need and actually responds and doesn't just keep going right on by. I'm thankful for my neighbor who shows me mercy and helps me out. A wise professor said, Jesus' response to the lawyer's question redirects his concern from eternal life to this life. Our concern should be saving lives in our lifetimes. I want to be that neighbor who's going to save lives. I want to be the neighbor who shows mercy. I want to be the neighbor who sees the humanity in the eyes of each of my neighbors. I want to be the neighbor who's going to work with my neighbors to care for the world around us, to care for each other, to encourage my neighbors to make decisions that are going to be able to make the world a better place for all of us. And folks, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's actually what sets us apart. Because being a Christian, being that kind of a neighbor, it's not easy. It's not easy to see something wrong, somebody abusing power, somebody oppressing the rights of others, and then acting to correct it. But that's what God expects out of each of us. God expects us to see our neighbors and care for their needs. Wouldn't you like a neighborhood like that? That's the world that Jesus is telling us 
we can step into at the end when he says, go and do likewise. So one last question. Won't you be my neighbor? Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.